Welcome to Sounds of PDX on Portland Radio Project. It is a beautiful Friday here in Portland. I am Veronica Bezesti. I'm so excited to chat with our guest today. We we are expecting a lovely weekend, and I, I feel pretty comfortable in saying that we can all say hello to summer. And with that, we all start thinking, okay, I guess it's time to get out in that backyard and, and get the garden going again. I know I am not alone in my pursuit of the perfect home grown tomato. Joining me today is a gardener who cooks, a cook who gardens, and best-selling author, Maggie Stuckey. Hey, Maggie. Hey, yourself, kid. So grateful and thankful that you are chatting with me today. Maggie is the author of The Container Victory Garden, A Beginner's Guide to Growing Your Own Groceries. And I need to address the elephant in the room. Yes, Sounds of PDX is typically music related. However, and go with me here, going back to the idea of that perfect homegrown tomato, that's music to my ears. I wander around my neighborhood and see garden after garden after garden. So I think it's safe to say we are a city of gardeners. And I know our PRP listeners will appreciate your tips and tricks, Maggie. First of all, congratulations on the book. Thank you. Thank you. And I want you, I, you may personally may not be a fan of country music, but there's this fabulous country song. Oh, the title of which is Homegrown Tomatoes. Love. And the refrain is, there's only two things that money can't buy. And that's true love and homegrown tomatoes. Isn't yes. that great? I yes. love it. Perfect, perfect. The Container Victory Garden, this is what number of book for you? 11, 12? This is 12. Wow. That's incredible. That is quite you a feat. Know, I am a really lucky girl. Yeah. Because I make my living doing things that give me pleasure. And um, not everybody can say that. Very true. Very, very, very true. I enjoyed the book. It obviously made me peruse around and check out some of, of your other writings. It's so informative, but I can tell you really enjoy what you do because you can, you can hear it in the words, read it in the words. There's love and passion behind it. Oh, thank you. Yes. I, lo- I love hearing that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so when and why did you start gardening in containers? Well, because I found myself in a place where I had no choice. Okay. Um, when I first moved to Portland, this is back in the mid-1970s, I lived in a lovely old bungalow uh, in southeast Portland. And that was the first time since graduating from college that I actually lived in a real honest-to-gosh house with an honest-to-God, honest-to-gosh backyard. And as soon as I looked at that, I said, okay, I know what I'm going to do now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I turned the whole backyard into a giant garden, and it was wonderful for many years. But then my life changed, as things do, and I moved into this beautiful, old, gracious old apartment building that has no yard space at all. All I have is a concrete patio about the size of a bandana. Oh, wow. And I knew if I wanted to keep on growing vegetables, which is where my heart is, it would have to be in containers. And at that point, I didn't know squat about it. So I did what I always do when I need to learn something new. I went to the library to check out a book on the topic, and there wasn't one. Mm -hmm. So because I... You know, I, I make my living writing books, I, and I'm always looking around the corner for the next idea. I thought, 
good heavens, I can't possibly be the only person in the world <laughs> who'd like to know about this. Right. So I spent the next couple of years doing experiments, uh, growing vegetables. When, when I say vegetables in this conversation, it's kind of shorthand for all sorts of edible things. Sure. That includes fruits and herbs and edible flowers. Um, uh, so I tried growing lots of different things to see what would work and what would not work. And most of all, what's really not worth the trouble. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that produced a book called The Bountiful Container 20-some years ago, 22 wow. years ago. It was the first major book from a major publisher on that topic, and it was just about the time people who live in apartments or wherever they live, they don't have a garden space, yeah. were starting to catch on to the idea that, gee, wouldn't it be fun to have a few lettuce plants or a small herb garden or some wonderful homegrown tomatoes? So my book hit just at the right time. And it was from a, uh, one of those New York publishers who had, <laughs> I'm going to say, the good sense to keep it in print because it just kept selling year wow. after year after year. At the time, I don't mind telling you, people thought I was a little nuts when I started you know, calling up seed companies and, and talking to master gardeners and stuff. And they would say, huh, you're talking about growing a whole vegetable at garden in containers? I'm not so sure that'll work. Well, I said, okay, I'm just going to try and see. And of course, it does work. Yeah. The wonderful thing, the absolutely wonderful thing that's happened since then is the horticulture industry has picked up on the idea. I'm not saying I'm responsible for this, but I think I did have a role in it. Um, Realized that that whole category is a real thing and there are hundreds and thousands of people, and more of them every year, who live in apartments or condominiums or live in a live on a houseboat, mm -hmm. or, um, and 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 really need very much want to have plants that are bred specifically to work well in containers. So 20 years ago, you had to read seed catalogs like a detective, you know, looking for the hints as to what would work. Yeah. Now all you've got to do is go to any large garden centers, and there's a whole section with giant banners, container veggies, and it's easier. And it gets easy. I'm sorry to say it gets easier every year, but in a sense it gets harder because all these wonderful plant developers are coming up with wonderful new stuff every year so there's more and more and more to choose from yeah. at which point it's, it's very tempting to try to want something of everything which of course won't work <laughs> <laughs> because the whole thing about um, the absolute truth that everybody has to recognize is when you when you grow everything in containers you have very limited space yes that's a given yes you have to all your decisions flow from recognizing that you can't have everything. But how lovely that you're providing the, the, the information for people to at least have something that once thought, well, I, I'm in an apartment, I'm in a condo, I'm up on the 13th floor, I don't have this as an option. Now they do. That's right. That's yeah. Right. It, 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 the, I mean, the changes just in the past few years are really astonishing. Yeah. Um, 
at one point you could get you could find maybe one type of lettuce now you can find a hundred types of lettuce. maybe there was only one or two tomatoes and they weren't even very successful in containers because they were all indeterminates mm -hmm. and now there's there's dozens and dozens of determinants and semi-dwarf that work beautifully in containers. So for folks that don't know the difference between an indeterminate and a determinant, give them that, de that differentiation. Okay. Uh, all tomatoes live in one, one of two giant groupings. And the, t the two terms, the two words describe the way that they grow. Okay. Determinants, I think of it as being predetermined. They grow to a certain height and, and, and that's they it. pretty much stop. Yeah. And they and all the they set flowers all at the same time and therefore the, the produce the fruits at the same time and they all ripen at the same time. That's very uh, is market gardeners love them because it's very easy for them to plan their harvest season. But they're good for containers because they tend to stay small and compact. Right. They don't sprawl all over the place. Right. Indeterminate means there there is no predetermined growth stoppage. You know, they mm -hmm. botanically it's a vine, and they will just keep growing mm -hmm. to the roof of your house house if the weather holds. Yeah. So they grow a little bit, and it's two small side branches with two flowers and eventually two tomatoes there and then they grow a little bit more and two more tomatoes and a little bit more and two more tomatoes so you have a small harvest on any given day but you have a lot of tomatoes spread over a long time period yeah. with the determinants you have all the the harvest comes ready pretty much all at one time yes now they're just just to make things a little more <laughs> just to give us a little more to think about in recent years, these the smart people who develop new plants for us have hit a middle ground called semi-determinate, which means the the the, um, the plants themselves don't get overly large, but they do tend to produce the tomatoes over a longer span of time rather than just all at once. What do you think are the best vegetables? And I'm doing the same thing that you indicated before, vegetables, fruits, herbs, edible flowers. What, what, are, what do you feel is the best for somebody to start out with? Well, um, first of all, I strongly encourage people who haven't done much vegetable gardening to start with, with small plants. Okay. Um, <laughs> Keep a plant alive for six months and then venture into food, right? Yeah, as, <laughs> as opposed to seeds. Now, there yeah. are some things you have no choice but to start with seeds. But it is particularly for things that grow, that grow in cool weather, which is something I want people to really kind of pay attention to because we have a long, here in, in where we live, we have a long span of time where it's not super cold, hardly ever freeze, gets to a deep freeze, but it's not warm enough for the full-on warm season things, right. which, by the way, includes tomatoes. Right. So we have this long span, both in the spring and again in the fall, of mild but coolish weather. Yeah. Which is perfect for growing all the leafy greens like spinach and kale and... Oh. Okay. All those, all those healthy things. Yeah. 
<laughs> and also all the wonderful Asian greens. It is so much fun to grow. Um, you know, sometimes you can find them in farmers markets, sometimes you can find them in Asian markets, every once in a while you can find them in the supermarket. But what what you what you end up with is a large a large head of bok choy, let's mm -hmm. say for instance. Unless you have a large family, you you may not be able to make use of that before it starts to go, kind of turns to slime on you. <laughs> but if you've got it growing outside your back door, you can harvest just a few leaves, whatever you're doing, the stir fry you're doing tonight, yes. and come back three or four days later and, and start again. So all of those wonderful Asian greens that are so good for us and so pretty and so just, I mean, there are, there are places in the country that people grow those things just as ornamentals. Yeah. All this because they're so handsome. And then we, and then we should, shouldn't forget um, edible flowers because in the springtime we have the violets and the violas which are so adorable, so beautiful, and so easy to grow and they have a, a sweet kind of uh, almost sugary taste to some yeah. of them and they add so much um, pizzazz if yes. you will, to, yes. to a lot of things that you, you if you wanted to have for a special dinner party they make a salad look beautiful or they're a perfect decoration for um, a cake on the top of a cake yeah. yeah yeah so let's talk about the logistics relative to sunshine so uh, say i live in an apartment i have a balcony i get i am positioned so that i only get morning sun do I still have a decent amount of flexibility when it comes to container gardening? Yes, you can. Okay. Um, uh, there's a real, one, one easy way to sort of manage all this is, is to just learn a couple of rules of thumb. And then I give you permission to break them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, the rule of thumb as it relates to sunshine is this. If the part that you eat starts on the plant as a flower. That plant wants six hours of sun a day. Okay, okay. Now when you think about it, that's most of our vegetables. Right. It's all, it's all the peas and beans, it's all the squashes, it's all the tomatoes and eggplants and all of those things. But um, that's, that's a, kind of a perfect world. And obviously in, in apartments, we don't really have control over how, how much sunshine we get and we have to adapt by being willing to accept less than vigorous production. Mm. Everybody wants fresh tomatoes, of course we do, and I want you to have them too. So you can do whatever you can to get those tomato plants as much sunshine as possible and here's the wonderful, absolutely wonderful thing about container gardening. The sun, as you know, when, as it makes its pathway through the sky during yeah. the course of a year, it, has, it makes a different arc. If your tomato plants are planted outside in the big backyard garden, mm -hmm. you have to wait for the sun to hit it. You've got to wait for the sun to come to you. If your tomato plant's in a container, you can pick it up and move it and follow the sun. That's genius. That's genius. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Do you suggest that folks 
uh, you alluded to this a little bit ago, uh, start with seeds, start with an already established plant, both. I, I, I recommend that, especially if, if the people feel a little bit like they're, they still call themselves beginners, you should start with, with the baby plants that okay. you buy in the nursery. Okay. Especially, especially if you're talking about the springtime things, which I really want people to ex ex take my word for it that this is really worth paying attention to because we can do a lot of growing in March and April and May before it starts to get super hot. Yeah. Well, <laughs> in normal times before yes. it starts to get super hot. Um, and in that case, starting from seeds becomes really tricky because the seeds themselves don't this is this is weird, but this is how it works. The seeds don't germinate all that well in really cool weather. Mm -hmm. So what you buy in the in the in the big nursery has been grown in a commercial greenhouse where they can mm -hmm. control the heat. Okay. So they've already done the hard work of getting these beauties off to a good start. Yeah. And all we need to do is is give them a container with good rich soil and a little bit of fertilizer and um, water it when it needs it and come along and say hi every morning aren't you looking pretty today and and enjoy them oh i'm glad i'm not yeah, the only one that talks to my plants because i yeah, do talk to my tomatoes <laughs> i do i go out and I, I i tell them how beautiful they are yeah of yeah. course because you know what's really happening is you're, you're taking a good look around yes so if, if any problem is developing you see it right away and right. you can control it this is another thing that makes container gardening so much easier because you have you only have two or three of any one thing mm -hmm. in all likelihood. And so it's e if you see a little problem, it's easy to, to, to get it under control quickly. Sure. Whereas if it's, if it's, you know, if it's a whole long row in the backyard, you might not ever see the end of that row until it's all dead. You know? Yeah, yeah. What does the pest situation look like in container gardening versus bed gardening? Is it, I, I'm assuming, I think the obvious is it's much easier to control because yeah, you have less to worry about. Um, but yeah. are they, are, are there pests that frequent that, that, that differ from bed gardening? No. Does that differentiate? No. Okay. No, I, I, I probably, I might have answered that too quickly. Maybe there's something that I've personally never encountered or heard about. But as far as I, I, as far as I know now, and, and I've ever heard mention of anywhere else, it's the it's the same little guys. Same guys. Um, and once again, if you're standing there and you start to see this funny looking web in your squash plants, you run inside real quick and look it up and see what it is and see what to do. <laughs> and it's um, and you you can you can cut. Cut 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 the problem off at the what is what is that expression? Cut it off at the start, you know. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense. And and I like the idea of it. It seems redundant to say it, but everything being so self-contained, you really do get the opportunity to pay a lot more attention to what's yeah. happening. I I'm so encouraged to give lettuce and bok choy and all of those kind of leafy greener type vegetables a shot in containers i'm ex really excited to do that I, well sounds so perfect you, and ideal i i bet you i bet you a quarter that you <laughs> have had the experience of opening up your crisper drawer in your refrigerator 
and you see what thought was what you thought was a nice head of lettuce and it's nothing but black slime yes <laughs> yes it, 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 it yes here is that my money maggie yes i'll give you a dollar yes i've done it many many times yeah so the thing about having it outside is not only can you um you just pull a few leaves off from around the outer right. outer circle right and and that that opens up space for it but then there's this other cool thing called cut and come again where you can um sort of grab a, in one hand grab a hold of as many lettuce leaves as you think you're going to need for salad and cut cut them off with with your with scissors or your garden shears mm -hmm. about an inch up from the soil so now in one hand you've got a, 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 a salad's worth of loose leaves that it the plant will grow more leaves yeah. from that spot where you cut Yes. So in, a, in another week, you'll start seeing little baby shoots and more leaves coming up there. Oh, gardening is just the best. Love it. can be used for a lot of yeah. leafy greens. Love it. I'd like to know, Maggie, if you could speak a little bit about the title of the book, particularly the Victory Garden portion and what that is a reference to. Oh, I'm so glad you asked. I, I just love this. Um, first of all, I, I have to confess I'm a history junkie. Um, but in think think back to 2020 and 2021, when when this terrible terrible scary virus was going around and we did not know what it was, yeah. well, the only th and we weren't sure exactly what what we needed to do. But one thing that was very clear from all the advice was, don't go out, stay at home as much as you can. And so a lot of people came up almost, it, it seemed to happen overnight, and it seemed to be all around the country. People came up with the same idea at the same time. Okay, if I can't go to the supermarket the way I regularly do, I'll just grow a few of my own. And at one point, and by the way, that turned into this amazing frenzy where every place under the sun was completely sold out of seeds and plants and everything. Yeah, yeah. It, it had never happened to anybody. Nobody could remember that ever happening. But while I was watching that, and I was just sort of talking to the seed company people, some of them just had to shut down their order line because they couldn't, they couldn't keep up. Wow. But it also made me think about, because a lot of these people, they weren't gardeners traditionally, they didn't really have a garden set up. They were just kind of doing the best they could with whatever little garden space they could find. And one day I thought, that is an awful lot like what happened in World War II with the Victory Gardens. Mm -hmm. People planted a few vegetables in whatever little piece of ground they could, they could lay claim to in order to sort of supplement the family, family diet. And then there was eventually a fairly sophisticated um, support program um, produced through through various agencies of the federal government to encourage people to do that and encouraged uh, local local government agencies and local entities to like like a, let's say a city park or um, the, a big parking lot of a large company encourage all of those, entities to cut off part of their space and make it available to people as a community garden. Yeah. 
And by the way, while I was researching this book, I found the most amazing thing. There are three places, well, there may be more than three, but I found three, where there are community gardens in the middle of a, of a huge city that were, that were what I just described. They were established as community gardens during World War II, and they have, they have been community gardens ever since. Oh, wow. In Boston, in Minneapolis, and in Washington, D.C. Now, don't you know, uh, through those years, there was a lot of pressure from commercial companies saying, ah, let's rip up that garden and put a parking lot there. We need some more new housing. But the people loved it so much that they, were ma they managed to preserve them as community gardens from 1945 to now. Wow. It, it is, and and I, I talked to six different people who have places in those gardens about about what it means to them, you know, it was just marvelous. But back to the World War II stuff. Um, I had this idea that it would be really, really wonderful if I could find people who remember the Vitry Gardens that their family had. It would have, of course, it would have been their parents or more, more likely their grandparents and because they would have been young children then. And with a lot of help and spreading the word every, way, every which way I could think of, I found a, almost 50 people who said, yes, I remember our Victory Garden and I'll be happy to talk to you about it. So when all was said and done, I ended up with 20 different solid interviews with people and they're all over the country and they have all different kinds of stories to tell. But they had a story with that was, was a real story, you know, not just a... Some people said, yeah, I remember the garden, we had tomatoes and blah, 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 blah. But um, what, we need, what I needed was um, something more dramatic. And those stories are spread throughout the book. Some of them are funny, some of them would just make you laugh out loud. Some of them are so heartwarming and so touching. A couple of them are just almost make me cry when I think about them because they were really pretty tragic. But but what they all tell us, if you look at the look at them in the aggregate, is what life was like during a time when the country was at war, when somebody in your family was in Europe or in Asia fighting a, a, an actual battle in which there's a very good likelihood that they could be injured or killed. What does that do to the national psyche? And all of these people said to me, it's so amazing how often the same ideas came up. Almost without exception, they said, working in the garden not only gave me something to do, but it just gave me hope. Oh. I just felt like if the, if the garden was flourishing, my son was going to come home, or my brother, or my uncle, or my husband, whoever. That whole idea that the, the garden represented a positive, tangible, valuable way to spend time yeah. was like making, making a deposit in the, in, in the good news world. You yeah, know? making a deposit in the bank of hope that we're, we're, hope. we're all going to get through that. There yes, and and the parallel to our pandemic time is that we, we're all in this together, and we all yeah. need to continue to make those kind of deposits in the bank of hope. Right. Wow. Right. 
Where can folks pick up the Container Victory Garden, a beginner's guide to growing your own groceries? I am a big fan of small neighborhood bookstores. Yeah, me too. Me too. To encourage people to shop there. Any bookstore. Okay can order it for you because it's published it's published by HarperCollins. It's a yes. major big time publisher and they're it's fancy. It's easy to find. <laughs> also, let's send everybody to the library. Ah. Good <laughs> idea, think, good idea. A lot of them are there. Um I um I there's one thing I, further I wanna mention. I'm actually doing a, a lecture next this coming week as a part of the the Garden Talk series uh, sponsored by the Smithsonian. Oh, wow. And um, it, I, my presentation has to be 45 minutes because I'm told to save 15 minutes to answer questions that people submit during, during the program. So I'll be, on, I'll be on the hot seat having to answer these questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will get some information from you about that so I can include on our website when I provide uh, folks with locations that they can go pick up your book. I'll put some of our favorite local bookstores up there. I will yeah. also include information relative to your lecture so if folks can make it down there and check it out and ask some questions, that'd be fantastic, right? Absolutely. All right. Maggie, Maggie, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and, and educate our PRP listeners on you too can grow tomatoes. Yes, you can. <laughs> yes, I love it. Thank you again, Maggie. Thanks to everybody for tuning into Portland Radio Project. Again, I'm Veronica. This is Sounds of PDX. Yeah, we had a drop-in session, but we called it a grow-in session. Hey, I'm here for it. Have a great weekend, everybody. Bye-bye.